Good afternoon, everyone. Um, today we are sitting with Paul Onions, who has been um, engineering manager in Reflex Marine. Um, today is his last day. Uh, he's moving on to uh, to another company, but we want to sit down with Paul and uh, talk about uh, 10 years that he's been with Reflex Marine and all the, all the things that happened uh, from engineering side during that period. Hi, Paul. How are you doing today? I'm good, thank you. Uh, how are you? Uh, yeah, I'm very good, thanks. Um, I don't think I can talk you into staying, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not going to try. Um, but why don't we start with... Um, so you came to Reflex Marine with uh, some experience. You didn't come straight from uni. Um, what were you doing before you, you joined the company? Uh, immediately before I was at Reflex Marine, I was working as an electromechanical design engineer, um, taking new product development and customer designs through from concept into production and setting up production uh, on the shop floor for a company called ITW Switches, who produce switches and connectors, actually manufacturing in-house and designing in-house. Um, so I had a production background in mechanical side of things when I came into Reflex Marine. Okay, so it sounds um, similar to some extent to Reflex Marine. They're doing the design in-house and production in-house, similar to what we are having. Yes, yes, very much so. Um, when I started with Reflex, um, a lot of it was being controlled externally. Um, we had external manufacturing partners running things for us and we were using Sterner contractors to manage the CAD designs and documents and everything and at the time there was a drive within Reflex Marine to bring it in and establish the controls and within the company itself say so we were in control of things rather than external bodies that we contracted holding the control on everything. Okay I think everyone who is listening understands why um, having control over processes um, is important, but could you please tell us a bit more why it's crucial when it comes to manufacturing, uh, particularly when it comes to manufacturing of safety uh, equipment that that we are doing uh, doing. Yes, it is. It's ensuring you know what you're getting that the product is up to spec that you have done your due diligence that you know that it is compliant to standards that the design is strong enough robust enough that you've got documents to back that up that you can refer to if you need to make changes you understand the impacts of any changes that need to be made that you are able to put out to an external party as we manufacture externally and know that you've defined that specification close enough, that tight enough, sorry, that you will get back what you want. Um, it's not ambiguous so that wherever you go, you will get 
the same product back. Um, when we first started, we were very much reliant on our manufacturer knowing what we wanted and weren't able to communicate easily to anyone else what it was we wanted if we wanted a different supplier for things. So it's important to show that you've got the continuity across any supply base you have, that parts are interchangeable, it makes you more robust, it, it makes your supply chain stronger and in theory it helps you drive keep your costs lower as well. Because if prices fluctuate, you are able to bring on another supplier that maybe be able to supply a cheaper cost for you same product same specifications so um it's important to control that information and have a good understanding of what it is where it is and what impacts what what could you tell us more about so you come to reflex marine or any other similar company um and they're doing manufacturing and they have in-house design. Um, where do you start? Where sort of, how does the process go? Where do you um, start and how do you define what is it that you're trying to achieve, how to get there and how you sort of stay on track, how you stay focused? Um. When I started, uh, I guess the first thing I started with Reflex Marine, I was asked to put the Toro product back into production because um, the company that had been producing the rotor mouldings had gone bankrupt following the financial crisis back in 2008 and the tools had been mothballed um, to that point. So the first task was to put that product back into production. Um, so I started tracing that through seeing how everything tied up and I was struggling to find all the information I needed and I was, it became clear I was actually having to go to our manufacturers to obtain information or the external contractor that we'd been pulling the design and CAD back in from to understand what we're producing and that to me, flag concerns. So uh, sat down with Phil to have a chat about where we are, the lack of information we had, the lack of understanding of what we were doing, that we were wholly responsible for the work that others were doing on our behalf, but we didn't fully understand what we're doing. So we started looking at that and drawing up the gaps and looking to put... Uh, systems processes in place to target the, the areas of most risk first and then working back from there um, I guess one of the big things to begin with was that we switched from ordering on descriptions to ordering off part numbers to match the drawings so that we knew exactly what we were getting because uh, we had a at the time I came in, we were there were a few quality issues we were getting where it wasn't not impacting the customer or anything, but it was impacting us um, in the sense that we would order a description. And our description to, to our manufacturing partner wasn't necessarily clear enough what we were after. So when it came 
for the goods to be dispatched, we'd get information and it would maybe flag like, oh, the package is such size or such weight. And we'd think, well, no, it shouldn't be. We were only after something, a fraction of the size, and we'd end up with a the incorrect part ready to ship for a customer that wasn't actually what we'd wanted to ship them. So um, switching to clear controls on what we were ordering and using the part number with a defined drawing um, was the first step forward to make sure we knew exactly what we're getting and what was going to come out and ensuring the customers got exactly what they wanted. Um, That was a large cultural shift for the company uh, up to that point because manufacturing hadn't really been a knowledge base internally. So there's a lot of work trying to communicate internally why it was important, uh, the benefits of doing this, the impact in terms of our overhead costs that we'd ordered something and had been delivered incorrectly, but who was at fault? They've produced description but to a description but the description isn't clear enough to actually say what it what it was wanted so we started removing those costs and that would help keep our costs down um it would mean that customer lead times for spares and things would be reduced as in we're not having to rework things to get it out the door so um that as a starting point was i think a major change and improvement in the company and once people started seeing the benefits of ordering off part numbers um it made people realize that actually it's an important control in our information and data and what we are doing is important to ensuring that we deliver for our customers and to the highest quality possible okay that makes sense um can you tell us a little bit more about, uh, so what happened after the Toro was put back in, in uh, production? How did your, so you spent 10 years with Reflex. So tell us a little bit more um, how did those years transpire, basically? What, um, what were the things that you were focusing on and particularly, how did you manage um, design and manufacturing, design testing and manufacturing of completely new range? Because during the years that you were with the company, um, the company retired the original frog range and launched a completely new XT range uh, back in 2014. Uh, with Frog XT4, Frog XT6, and Frog XT10. So how how did all that go? Uh, so the first couple of years, we were focusing our internal systems, putting good control in place. Um, to begin with, it was largely manual processes, documenting changes being made or uh, requests that were coming from manufacturing, making sure we were up to speed with what was actually being produced and what we were doing. And in doing that, we started to learn issues and problems that a manufacturer was solving on our behalf that we weren't aware of and started capturing that information, 
and it became clear that and then we started to hear feedback from customers and that has been logged and complaints and we started to gain a real understanding of older product range and the issues and gripes and not not major problems but just a little niggle here or there that people had with the unit or uh, hard to maintain because you're having to take it fully apart to replace a spring on the central column or various things like that and we sort of from that picture we were able to with the new product range the xt range have a clear outline of we, we already have a very good product but if we could target these areas for manufacture these areas for customers that we would have a much higher standard product that we could offer people so based off the information we had from all the controls we'd put in place we went forward with developing the xt range and with the XT range, we, we started making sure it was in control from the outset. All the processes and procedures that we've been developing over the past couple of years were there. We, we then started to look at the testing and documentation that we had. And, well, we, we did this there. Is there a way we can improve it? Can we make it better? Can we make it more robust? So during the design process, we started looking at how we would test and developing better procedures and practices rather than just relying on what we had before. We, we started realising that continuous improvement is ongoing and it isn't just a one-shot thing. It is, uh, it's applicable to everywhere within the company. So it, we started, rather than just doing what we'd done previously, we always started looking at, well, this is what we've done previously how can we improve it at this point? So that went through with the XT4 being the first of the new product range launched and learnings we'd taken from manufacturing about just, we had three different products and there was very little that was the same across the product range. So it meant that the higher volume stuff long lead times, high costs and everything. And so with XT, we, we started to try and standardize across the product range so that lead times would come down for customers, costs would come down for customers, and make it more attractive product all around. So we focused not only on the design, but also thinking about the production of it and how we'd want to construct that going forward and the impacts a design decision could have on the production um, of the product. So um, we looked at new techniques. Um, we had changed, well, previously on the old product range, we'd use flat sheet tooling, uh, tooling for all the buoyancy um, components. But on the XT range, we started using CNC machined tooling, um, not only for the buoyancy, but also uh customized sort of moldings for the seat well not customized more shape specific moldings for seat rather than sitting on a hard bench we were thinking more about the ergonomic interactions with people as well to make it more comfortable and using these new technologies not necessarily to the market but to reflex marine 
um, to improve the product going forward. And um, you can, when you compare the sort of old product range to the XT range, you can see the step change in the quality of product being offered and how it's been thought through a lot more and to try and make customers' life a lot easier to run it and easier, cheaper to run, easier to run and just more robust all round and a more comprehensive product that when we're talking about transferring people in this safety critical activity, just reassure customers that they're really getting a top of the range product here. It's not just being thrown together. The, the, the thought and the detail and the controls that are being put in place to ensure that their personnel will be safe are coming through. And it's obvious. Um, so um, that happened on the four and then that was rolled across on the six and 10 as we tried to stay generic designs there. Um, and at this stage, it was all very much a manual control process. And on the back of that, it was, it was, it was time consuming. It was important, but it was admin heavy to control all of that. So on the back of the new product range launch, we started looking at ways we can reduce that admin burden down um it's an important exercise but it's not necessarily the value adding that you would want it for the amount of time it takes so we started looking at changing from excel systems to it systems that would take the admin out that would control things on our behalf and make sure that the cad files were always up to date that if you were going to change something, you could see where that impacted rather than having to manually sort of trace it. We, we were now able to see this change. Okay, that's going to hit this part, this part, this part, this part. Does that affect stock? Does that affect the build of any other units? And um, so we went for a data management system um, and implemented that in um, bringing our products into control and making the updating and the management of them more efficient, quicker, and easier. So when we came to developing the wave, we had improved systems in place for that. So the wave, um, we took the learnings from next T range, the previous ranges, our systems improvements, and we were able to deliver the way product in a shorter time frame with just the same amount of control and quality that had been put in place for the XT range. And so we've continued on that mindset. What have we learned? Where the bottlenecks, where the struggles, where the problems, what could we do better? And we've taken that forward with, the subsequent products in terms of the storm work and the storm pro products that we're currently working on at the moment or are out on the market at the moment making improvements incremental better each time how we do things how we control it um trying to bring in new manufacturing techniques or alternative material supplies and looking at the customer gripes what can we improve? How can we solve that from? How can we make life better, easier, cheaper? 
So if you if you would take the Toro, uh, taking the Toro back to production when you join the company, and let's take Wave uh, that was um, completed in two thousand and sixteen. Um, if you would compare those two products and how they were put in in uh, production, and if you had to rank them on a scale of one to ten, how would you rank them? I'm just trying to um, get a clear sense of what was the level of improvement um, that you just explained. Yeah, I. Scale of one to ten, I'd say Toro is probably down at a two. I'd say the waves at a six or seven. There's always room for improvement and things that can be done better. Um, but uh, it was a, a real step change from what the Toro was to what the wave was in terms of the the production setup, the controls, the documents, um, making sure that what we were doing added value and wasn't just a admin exercise um, that consumed time. Okay, uh, so I agree on the um, on your statement that there is always room for improvement, and I know that we talked a lot about that. Um, during the time when we worked closely together on on dif- different things, um, when you talk about the improvements um, that are always continuous with regards to production and manufacturing, because there are always some new techniques um, coming out and some new uh ways of uh of improving the manufacturing process there are new materials coming out uh and so on and so forth can we talk a little bit about uh the importance of wash up calls and the importance of feedback and the importance of uh going back to the process um to make sure that there is an understanding of everyone who participates in the project of what happened during a certain project or a certain process. Uh, what have we learned from that? How can that be Im- improved moving forward and so on? Um, we had a podcast last week with um, Tommy and Henrik from Fainokran uh, Services and they talked a lot about the importance of having uh, wash-up calls after after every process and after every project. So I would like to to sort sort of link that with your yes. comments. Yeah, no, of course. I mean, that was something that was, I guess, next four when it came in. Um, it was very much more a team development rather than just a technical development there was a full team there that had input and all the stages and opportunity to have a voice with regular meetings but the detail and bits and pieces weren't always available to everyone so 
coming to the end of the project, it, it was important to have a wash-up call where everyone can understand their issues, their frustrations, the the problems, the learnings at present. Um, uh, one of the key learnings from Next T was making sure that everyone was aware of the spec and the requirements that were to be delivered. Uh, people people's expectations weren't necessarily aligned at the start of the XT range. So out of that wash-up call, understanding that everyone don't necessarily need to know how the decisions have been made, but they need to know what it's going to be, what it, what's required, what the final deliverable is early on in the project. Um, so in the wave, there was more definition around sort of the the specification and what was going to be delivered with that information available to the commercial team uh, and the support teams and the operations teams so that they could feedback and have an input on it and thought added um, things like how we were going to ship products hadn't really the, the, the crating, the packaging, and that side of things hadn't really been factored in on the XT. We 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 we'd known we'd wanted it to fit in the queue, but in terms of thinking about pallets, uh, packaging, and the bits and pieces that would go with it, it hadn't been thought about there. So the wave uh, crating was actually developed as part of the product process um, based on wash-up meeting from the XT range so that there was pallets and options available so that when customers were ordering, it wasn't suddenly, oh, we have to ship something now. How are we going to do that? It had been factored in. It, so it, we started to make sure we had a complete package in place um, So um, based on the feedback and the wash-up meetings that we'd had. And if you, if you don't understand what everyone is frustrated about or the issues or problems that they've had on the project, it, your projects won't run successfully. Um, you should aim to improve. So having a wash-up call and a safe space for people to have a voice, to be heard and feedback what the problems are so that you can learn is, is important. And um, otherwise, you will never improve if you don't allow that to happen. Um, would you say that... Um, would you say that there is understanding generally in manufacturing industry about the importance of uh, uh, feedback and wash-up calls and um, um, going through the projects or the processes once they have been com completed to see, to get the feedback from everyone and to see what can be done to improve things moving forward? Uh, or do you think that that's something that the manufacturing industry as a whole is still trying to implement? So if you would have to rank... Um, manufacturers uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, where would you say that this particular um, issue lies? I 
I think it, I think it varies greatly across the manufacturing industry. Um, those that are more forward facing and looking to embrace things like the fourth industrial revolution with all the technology and the internet of things are very good at listening to feedback and reviewing and having wash ups and thinking about what people need going forward. Whereas those that operate in a more archaic, um, older fashion, um, are less open to feedback and wash up and have less understanding of the importance of learning from what's happened. And so they will be left behind in their upshot of it. Um, they won't be able to compete with those that are leading the way in the long term. And so they will die out. So as time's gone on, um, companies, if they want to maintain their place in the market and have learned it, but depending where you, you, the style of company you are at, it, it depends how good they are at learning the feedback and everything, unfortunately. So would it be fair to say that um, if a company wants to survive in today's uh, competitive world and if they want to thrive and, um, and grow, uh, they simply have to uh, become comfortable with having wash-up calls and, having, and receiving feedback both internally within the company but also from their clients and from the market? Yes, uh, it, absolutely. It, it's vital to solicit feedback and hear the feedback and li- listen to it. Um, if you don't, how can you know what what you're doing well, what's working and what's not? Um, decisions made without feedback are ill-informed decisions and could lead to problems in the future that you are unaware of. So feedback is the breakfast of champions, as they say. <laughs> That's very true. Uh, what would you? What would be your advice to, um, say, people coming out of un- university or school um, that still have to learn how to deal with feedback um, and to look at it as a positive opportunity to learn and to grow rather than uh, something that um, they perhaps might not enjoy hearing or reading uh, and that they might take too personally. What would be the advice? How can they learn to take feedback in a detached way and look at it as okay, I, I can learn from this. I can, uh, this will help me do my job better. This will help me have a better service or a better product. Uh, this will help me become more competitive. Uh, this ultimately will help me become more successful. Yes, I, I think the important thing to understand is that it's it's not an attack on your capabilities. It's not saying you're, incapable which when I first came out of uni I it sort of it was something that I felt when I was getting feedback that it was possibly an attack on my capabilities but I remember uh, one of my mentors in my first job uh, 
heavily into sport and he, he knew I played football and things. And she said, um, your coach feeds back when you do something he doesn't like or doesn't work. He, 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 he tells you it and you don't do it again. So feed, feedback's not a reflection on your rubbish. You'll never achieve again. It, it's to help you understand areas that you can improve that will make you stronger going forward. And if you don't listen, you won't improve. Um, but it was sort of when I had that sort of epiphany that it's just the same as my coach feeding back to me, receiving feedback at work, I, it, I, it became much easier for me to just go, okay, take it on board, look at it, reflect on it. How can I be better? How can I improve? How can I run with this? How will this help me in the future? And it is, it is hard. It is hard, especially out of uni, or at least when I was at uni, um, your your feedback is your exam. You don't really have anyone sitting down and sort of in the way you tend to in the company feeding back, saying, well, these are your targets you didn't achieve here and we, we need to look at improving this area. Um, you, you don't get that at school or uni. Um, so I can understand the sort of, the transition it can be rough if not accustomed to it or used to it so it's understanding that a good manager that he's not there to knock you down he's there to build you up and the feedback is helping you understand how to improve yourself and learn from mistakes and improve for next time you come a against it um the challenge um what do you think how easy is for younger generations or for even for older ones who perhaps haven't learned this uh what you just talked about how easy it is for them to um to see this so I think your example was uh, excellent in a sense that you made a parallel with your uh, coach and you understood uh, it sort of helped you understand that feedback is supposed to uh, help you uh, grow and become better rather than um, to do anything else. How easy... Uh, or how capable do you think generally people are uh, to understand that? Because we see often situations where um, even experienced managers or experienced um, people in a sense of years in the job um, are struggling with feedback. Um, what do you think... The industry can do to help that. Uh, or it's a or hard is one. it something it's, it's... that everyone has to figure out for themselves? Or can it be perhaps? Um, uh, can the industry or different industries do something to to help people learn how to deal with with feedback? I, <laughs> I, I think it 
depends <laughs> on the person largely how receptive they are and how willing they are to listen. But I think with technology industry has potentially got a lot to be learnt from as the guys coming through from uni, the, the speed at these new technologies are coming through. They've got a lot of new ideas and knowledge that just wasn't around five years ago, never mind 10, 15, 20. So I, I think it's very, very important to learn how to listen to feedback and understand that older managers and more senior people in the company can learn from juniors with feedback and ideas. Um, the technology companies seem to be doing that well with the, the speed and sort of change and adoption of ideas. So I, I think that there's stuff to be learnt there, but um, how you get that into manufacturing is um, a challenge, I think, as uh, there are the older generations that are much more set in their way and unwilling to listen to it. And I, I, I do think it's a problem and it's something that I don't think there is a readily easy answer to, unfortunately. Okay. So you talked about university um, a little bit. You mentioned... Um, people coming out of uni, uh, you talked about how you uh, felt uh, when you came out of un university, what helped you uh, gain some perspective. Uh, I would like to go a step back now. What made you want to study in engineering in, in the first place? So what is it that drives you uh, to that particular field, and then how did you make a decision? This is what I want to study, and this is what I want to do my entire work life. Um, there's a few influences. My my dad was an engineer, um, so I was possibly swayed there. But also, um, Farnborough International Air Show used to take place near me, and all the sort of planes would every two years the show would be on and there were some lakes near my house that were clearly visible to the pilots and everything that were used as the turning circle for them between their display runs so every couple of years I'd sit and you could see these sort of new planes that had been demonstrated showing off and it, that always held a fascination for me how that worked how was something that big staying up there and that sort of drove me to begin with um my initial interests were aeronautical side of engineering and as i sort of started to explore what engineering was where it was i, I started to realize that it wasn't necessarily the aeronautical side that i liked it's more the production of parts and items that I like more, how to make it, um, so to speak. Um, I 
my initial career out of uni, I, I was an aerodynamicist. And it was during that time that I realized that I was doing work, I was producing reports, and they would be issued out to customers. And I don't know what would happen to them. Um, I don't know whether they were implemented into designs or not. So I started to realize I, I wanted to see an end product, which I then went and headed into the manufacturing industri- industry from there, sort of realizing that I liked seeing taking a concept through to producing something at the end and how that works and how you make that happen. Um, and that's sort of really what drove my passion, how it was made, how it worked. And still to this day, that's um, what really interests me and gets me excited. Okay, now you almost have me wanting to study the same thing. <laughs> uh, so what was your going back to Reflux Marine uh, and from this perspective that you just explained, what would you, what was your passion in Reflux Marine? So we all have work that we do every day and we all have uh, things in that work that we feel passionate about and we all have uh, things that we have to do uh, because they they are a part of the process but perhaps we are not that crazy uh, about those things so what what did you particularly like when you worked for reflex um i guess for me it was we were producing something that helped make people safer every day that was ensuring people were able to get to work in a safer manner um, not everyone's fortunate enough to be able to jump in the car and drive to work or sit down some people have to use more risky methods of transport and with what we were doing in terms of producing the transfer capsules we were making people's lives safer we were managing out risks we were ensuring that they weren't likely to fall off the end of a crane hook we sort of the work we did made a difference it, it saved lives at the end of the day okay uh what would you let's flip that coin what would you say were things that you found frustrating or um, things that you felt uh, are sort of holding you back in in your work or you wish they were different or I'm asking these questions. I know they're not uh, popular questions to ask, uh, but I'm trying to... Um, to sort of connect this with the feedback and with the uh, wash-up calls that we talked about earlier. Uh, so what were the parts that you uh, give us feedback? What is it that you didn't like so much or uh, things that you felt could have been better and uh, perhaps would have given you a better chance to do your part of the work 
uh, more easily. A reluctance to change or resistance to change, I would say. It was... To change in a sense of changing the processes or changing the mindset, because I guess the mindset is the most important part in this. Once you change your mindset, then everything else kind of falls into place. Right. Yes, it's definitely the mindset. Prime one is the switch to from descriptions to part numbers for our order, and that that was a real battle, and it took a lot of time convincing people that we had to do that to make us better. But um, yeah, it's sort of it's well we don't do it this way now, why do we need to change type mindset? And just sort of, I think, need to be open to change. Change isn't necessarily bad, it isn't necessarily good, but you need to be open to it. And I think having more of a open mind when it comes to change would have made life easier for the company in terms of things that have gone on over the past 10 years. Would you say that people generally are cautious when it comes to change or perhaps are um, not as eager to embrace it? Um, Similarly in private lives and in work lives, because it feels uncomfortable or would you say that there is something else behind that i would i'd say it's mainly people are comfortable with what they know and so change will make people uncomfortable it's only to be expected and i I think human nature is that we like to be comfortable we so change it improves us, it drives us, but again, we have to be, we, we like to feel comfortable. So if the change is too far out of our comfort zone, um, I think there is a reluctance to proceed with it. So what would you say, uh, you said people generally like to be comfortable it's in human nature and i agree with that uh but wouldn't you say that people are generally curious and that that's a part of human nature too and that curiosity eventually leads us to change because you become curious about i don't know going to south america and then you start reading about it and then at the end of the day, you sit on an airplane and you go to Brazil and you explore that country, and that's some kind of a change. Um, so how do we get... Would you say that in order for people to be more comfortable with change, their curiosity has to be on a higher level than their wanting to be comfortable? Yeah, I, I think that would be... a fair assessment to make I'd, I'd agree with that i think the more curious you are the, the more you're going to poke at things to understand and look at and probably be more comfortable with the change going ahead as you understand it more 
how do you how can how do you think that engineers or how did you deal with that when you are conscious that change is um, essentially good and that change is needed if you are trying to move forward and if you're tr- and particularly if if you're trying to grow so talking uh, about um, works workplace and workspace um, but also having uh, an understanding that with engineering and particularly with manufacturing change has to be managed so it doesn't happen too quickly because you still have to cover all the processes and go through all the processes to make sure that that manufacturing will then function in the best possible way and yield the best possible product how do you how how do people reconcile these two so accepting change and being eager to do the change but then um in some sense, I suppose, being held back a little bit because the change can't happen in 48 hours but has to happen over a period of two years, let's say. Yes. Um, yeah, I, I guess everyone moves at different paces with change. Um, and you, you'll have the sort of the leaders that will be happy and excited and just adopt and change quickly. And then you'll have those that are reluctant and unwilling to change. Um, My experience is that you need to get the majority on board for change to take within a company. Um, you, You can have a few that are reluctant, but the majority will pull them along. But if you've only got a minority looking to change or make the change, it's is resisted and feet are dragged and problems are thrown up and arguments are made and you, you need you need to get a sizable portion on board um, in doing that. Um, how you do it, I, I think, is important. It can't just be dictated that down from the top for successful change, you need the bottom on board just as much as the top on board for change to happen. And you'll, depending on where they sit, they'll they'll have different things that will make them comfortable um, as long as they can understand the reasons why and see a benefit somehow or somewhere i think most people ultimately will get on board with it but if they are unable to comprehend or understand the reasons for something that the change is not likely to happen unfortunately okay that makes sense so um sort of trying to now close this conversation um let's go back to you so you talked a lot about change and we talked about um growing as professionals in terms of learning how to accept feedback and learning how to accept uh 
feedback from clients and um, uh, focusing on improving processes and how we do things and trying to become better uh, every time we do something. Um, so thinking about all that and bringing it in back to you um, and your decision to make a change now in your life. So you uh, decided that after 10 years with Reflex Marine, you're going to move on and try something new. Um, and it makes perfect sense because you kind of have a closed circle with one company and now you want something else to... Uh, you want to be curious about some other things. Let let me put it that way. Uh, how easy it is for you to make this change and how do you look at it now? So you joined Reflex Marine when you were 30. Now you uh, are 40 and you are leaving Re Re uh, Reflex. You are starting something new. Are you ready to... Um, be curious in a different way. Are you? What kind of learnings are you taking with you? Um, I've learned a lot in the time with Reflex. I've been very fortunate to have had a lot of great opportunities and work with a lot of great people. I guess I came in to Reflex. And as a competent production engineer and my time at Reflex, I've learned a lot more about social interactions and other aspects outside engineering, um, really learning how to work with people and achieve things that aren't necessarily driven by a simple engineering equation result. That's, that's the result, therefore we do it. So time at Reflex, uh, I guess I've learnt a lot of soft skills and that side of things. Um, in terms of going forward, um, I like learning. Uh, I, like in, I like a challenge. So that's sort of driven the change for me. Just sort of after 10 years, it started, felt my learning was starting to plateau. Um, um, there's still things to do, but the opportunities to learn are less. Um, so the changes um, will present a lot of new learning and challenges for me. Um, be <laughs> bound to be apprehensive and <laughs> about it is is change, and I don't think anyone would be completely on board with change it is the whole reason why change is a step um, for apprehension but certainly I'm looking forward to the opportunity of learning new things in a new industry okay well that's good um, with regards to change um, so of course every change is um, slightly uncomfortable and there is that um, what we call the adjustment period uh, and then everything becomes easier do you think and from your perspective now so 
you worked somewhere before Reflex Marine and then you worked for Reflex Marine and now you are moving on. Um, do you think that sometimes we should make a change even when we feel that we are becoming too comfortable in some scenario? Do you think that it's better for us to sort of trigger um, and to tell ourselves, okay, I'm sort of getting into um, rut in a positive sense of the word here. I should make a change and I should try some something new. Personally, I would say yes, but others may have different views, but I, uh, I, I do think change is good people um doesn't have to be large wholesale change but change of some sort i I think is beneficial for everyone um i I yeah i'd say yes okay um okay well thank you paul for your time it's been an hour um i've learned a lot uh during this hour even though we work together for almost six years, uh, but I still feel like every time we have a conversation, I can, I can learn quite a lot from you. Um, I'm, I am sorry that you are leaving, but I think it's uh, the best thing for you. Uh, so I think you are ready for a change. Um, I'm excited to see how, uh, how this will um happen for you and how uh, easy or how uh, quickly are you going to adjust uh, and I will certainly uh, stay in touch and sort of uh, I'm curious to to find out what's next uh, in your chapters and uh, what's the next change down the line that that you might take so best of luck in your new job. Uh, it's been a real honor working with you and it's been a pleasure. And um, I think uh, we have, I think the entire company has learned quite a lot from you as well. Uh, so as they say, it's a two-way street. Uh, Likewise, thank you very much. Uh, enjoyed my time with reflex immensely i'm sad to be leaving and excited at the same time uh, there's a lot of good people here um a lot of talented people and you're included in that thank you yeah mixed feelings that's what they call mixed feelings you're sort of happy for somebody but you're also sad that that they're leaving but you're happy that they felt that they found something that interests them so, okay, cool. Um, thank you, everyone, for listening um, uh, for another podcast. Uh, this one was with Paul Onions, engineering manager at Reflex Marine. Um, he is leaving the company after 10 years and moving on to new uh, challenges and new changes. Thank you all. Bye.